It's always great to go down to uh, Oklahoma City and talk some OU, talk some Oklahoma State, talk some Big 12 with our next guest, Dylan Buckingham, joining us, KFOR sports anchor in Oklahoma City, also radio guy uh, for the franchise, does middays there 10 to 1. Dylan, what's happening, man? How are you? Thanks for being a part of the show. I am fantastic, doing great, gearing up for another exciting season of Big 12 basketball and been uh, enjoying that and trying to recover from a crazy Big 12 football season, but I'm doing well and thanks for having me. Well, I know, right? It is crazy. And of course, we're here on Heartland College Sports. If you're on YouTube, hit that subscribe button. Same thing with the podcast. And we always appreciate our uh, radio affiliates joining us here as well. So uh, let's just start off getting off of football season uh, for OU, Oklahoma State. I mean, it's just weird because... You're obviously covering these two teams. They've been part of the same conference forever. And now that's no longer going to be the case. What's kind of the mentality uh, between these two fan bases and how they're digesting these last few months of being together in the same conference? You know, it's pretty weird. A lot of them are actually kind of happy it's over. It's really really a strange deal. (laughs) Yeah. Like I keep hearing from Oklahoma State people that, you know, they say Oklahoma chose the money. They chose to end Bedlam. So good riddance. See you later. You know, Oklahoma fans are not really even caring that much about ending Bedlam. Like they just have kind of moved on and it's been kind of a weird deal. Now, I will say the Bedlam game this past season was one of the most juiced Bedlams I have ever seen and been around. And it's been the loudest I've ever heard Oklahoma State Stadium. That's for sure. After they finally reeled in the game and you know, beat Oklahoma for the final time. Like that was one of the more crazy atmospheres I've seen. Of course, there was a goalpost that ended up in a pond. In <laughs> yes. water, so that's how that works. But, you know, it's kind of weird that it's ending. I'm, I'm truly sad about it. I'm an Oklahoma guy. Like I, I'm raised in the state. I was born in Tulsa. I live in Oklahoma city now. Like I'm, I'm all around this state and uh, I grew up watching the rivalry and I'm very, very sad to see it go. You know, it was kind of weird to think about how, we were treated to a Dylan Gabriel, Alan Bowman matchup for Bedlam in the final meeting, which it's so weird to think about those two guys being uh, the quarterbacks for something that, you know, is so massive and one's from Hawaii and one's from Texas. So it's kind of a crazy deal and kind of weird how it's been, but believe it or not, both fan bases have moved on quite well. Oklahoma is so ready for the sec and Oklahoma state's really ready for a fresh start in the big 12. They feel like they have a great opportunity to win it next year. Yeah. And they should with what they've got uh, coming back. So, Let's just start just on OU. I mean, I'm not suggesting, I don't think OU is going to be the next Nebraska in the Big Ten where they become irrelevant, but is there an element from your perspective to be concerned about the possibility that OU is not what it was in the Big 12 going to an SEC that obviously is uh, going to be and has been the best football conference in America? Yes. I mean, and and to put it quite bluntly, Oklahoma themselves are aware of that. They know what they're about to step into. They talk about it pretty regularly. And Brent Venables, even whenever he first got hired a year ago, a couple of years ago, actually, that was one of the things he brought up. And he knew this was going to be a project. It was going to take a little time to get ready. And he's mentioned it a million times. He thinks the lines of scrimmage are really what set the big boys and everybody else apart in the SEC. And if you look back to the TCU Georgia National Championship, not this you know, last week, but the year before that, there was a huge discrepancy up front between Georgia and TCU. And Oklahoma has really, really worked hard to make sure they have the right guys in place to make that transition. And they know there's going to be bumps, but they also know that the playoffs expanding and being one of the top few teams in the SEC gives them a really good chance to be in the college football playoff. Now, you know, they have a guy in PJ Atabare who was this five-star freak out of Kansas City that 
you know, I think everybody's kind of waiting to see. He's one of those names that keeps popping up as a guy that is an SEC type player. Oklahoma kind of lost one of those guys they had in Caden Green, who randomly entered the transfer portal off the offensive line and went to Missouri. And that was a random situation for Oklahoma that they did not see coming. So they've had to kind of try and do a little dog and pony show to fix the offensive line through the transfer portal. And there could be some names in the coming days that pop up there. But beyond that, though, the Sooners are well aware that this isn't going to be a situation where they go into a conference and reel off six straight conference titles like they did with Bob Soups and Lincoln Riley. Like they just know that this is a little bit different. But they also know they're going to get a better payout and have a better opportunity to make the playoff in the SEC where there's a lot of respect. Yeah. Now, for Oklahoma State, you alluded to it, Dylan. Um, there is no team that's going to walk in and be the bad boy on the block, so to speak. It could be anybody's conference. I mean, you could find six, seven teams that could win this thing next year. Mike Gundy, I mean, just the way he continues to do it year after year, losing the South of Alabama, getting to a Big 12 title game. Like, we just saw Nick Saban retire. I'm not suggesting Mike Gundy's going anywhere, but with the way the sport is changing, what is Mike Gundy's longevity in this thing, covering him as you have for so many years? Is he still loving this? I mean, like, what is, I mean, no one can really get into Mike Gundy's head. That seems impossible. But what can you share on that front in terms of where he's at with all these changes for this team, the conference, and the sport at large? He's kind of always said, I'm never going to be Bill Snyder coaching in my 70s. You know yeah. how Snyder's walking around on the sideline sporting the Alamo Bowl, you know, pullover from, you know, 15 years ago or whatever. Yeah. That's, yeah. Be That's not how he operates. He is more of a, I think, year to year kind of guy. I, I think Gundy probably has anywhere from five to 10 years. And he's called this his Yankees job. He He loves it. He's interviewed at other places. I know been well documented he talked to Tennessee for a little bit he talked to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers he actually kind of offered up that information earlier this year which was kind of crazy and this wasn't a recent thing it was a lot it was a few years ago uh, I believe when they hired Greg Schiano. and so you know looking back at what he's done at Oklahoma State he's their winningest coach all time and there's people who have been extremely frustrated with the fact that you know he hasn't quite gotten them over the hump to a big 12 championship just a single time you know but uh, he's been to the big 12 championship game two of the last three years and I think last year really took a lot out of him because he had 34 players he had to replace that hit the transfer portal. And he admitted after this past season, you know, he didn't have nearly that. He has a whole bunch of guys coming back. He said he had to adjust as a head coach. And that even includes his son, Gunner, who was on the roster, who hit the transfer portal out of nowhere and decided to go to Ohio because he wanted a better opportunity and an opportunity to play because Alan Bowman came back and was granted a seventh year for his medical red shirt. So I, I will say this, like when you hear these coaches talk about transfer portal and NIL and, and all the stuff that's kind of happened and evolved in college football with really no regulation over it the last couple of years, it takes a lot out of these guys who have been around for a long time. And Mike Gundy's been around for a long time. I believe this will be season either 19 or 20 coming up this next year. And so he's got a ton of stock in this school and loves his program, loves his administration. He's mentioned that numerous times with president Casey Shrum, Dr. Casey Shrum, I should say, and athletic director, Chad Weiberg. Those, those three have been in dubstep lockstep, whatever you want to call it over the last few um, months and really last couple of years through the big 12 conference realignment. So I would say he is going to go for another five to 10 years. I think he really wants to see what he can do at Oklahoma state without Oklahoma and Texas in the conference. And I think that's going to kind of help him along. I haven't seen any signs of slowing down from him, though. 
Well, and you mentioned it right there. I mean, if if this was still the days of Mike Gundy and Mike Holder, he might feel a little bit different right now, right? I mean, he he does seem to have that continuity in the administration that he frankly hasn't had during his entire tenure. And I got to imagine at this point in his career, when there's not a lot left to prove and there's no more money that needs to be made, that makes this worth it. That gives him another five to 10 years, does it not? Absolutely, 100%. And it's it's interesting because he, you know, he made point to say, and I don't know how much he talked to Holder. I mean, I know they had to coexist on a number of levels to make things happen. And I know they had a totally different policy as it pertains to football scheduling. But when you break it down with where he's at now with uh, Chad Weiberg and Dr. Casey Shrum, they all have weekly meetings together. They all talk together. Um, They all kind of, I mean, they let him do his thing. They're not micromanaging him by any stretch. You know, it's a guy that's been around forever and is the winningest coach. So, you know, whatever he's done has worked, but I will say there have been a lot of logistical conversations about how they're going to operate, what they're going to do in the new Big 12, what it looks like from OSU's perspective administration-wise, whenever that whole thing was kind of going down with Arizona State, Arizona, Utah, uh, and Colorado. And so they have been as close to a unit maybe that he's had as a head coach at Oklahoma State. And I do think that that does take some pressure off him. You know, they do ask his opinion on things. And you know, he's a guy who has a good beat on on college football, and he kind of jokes all the time. You know, he's kind of Nostradamus when it comes to things. And one of his uh, crazy things he's saying right now is that you'll see the Power Four, I say Power Four now, break off and have their own basically set of rules. Uh, and college football is run that way with just that four grouping. And it's going to be wild. He He's not been wrong on a lot of the stuff he said about where the state of the sport is. How have the two schools handled the the NIL uh, stuff when it comes to, you know, just literally reports of money getting thrown around at crazy levels? Not necessarily at OU and Oklahoma State, but I mean, we've all seen the reports. Is that really what it's come down to where you've got to hope the mega boosters step up and and pony up some dollars? Or is there a different approach that these two schools are taking? They both joined collectives, have collectives that will help out their athletes. Um, Oklahoma State's pokes with a purpose. Oklahoma's, I forget, I want to say it's the Crimson and Cream Collective, I believe is what it's called. Um, but they both had to be proactive about it. That's that's all there is to it. Now, let's not mistake any of this for what's actually happening too. I mean, there is back channeling going on. It's no different than what Oklahoma did when they went to the SEC and started having those exploratory conversations. You know, no one's going to say anything on the record and no one's going to actually reach out because no one wants to get in trouble. Well, I can tell you this, like when Oklahoma State had their mass exodus just a couple of years ago, you know, there were conversations where through back channels, you're finding out, hey, if you were to hit the portal, you could make X amount of dollars at this school. And that goes to a family member that gets back to the player. And before you know it, that player's in the portal and they go somewhere else. And that happened to Oklahoma State a couple of times where Mike Gunny was really frustrated that they had turned kind of into this minor league filler system for other college football programs. And that was something that was you know, a a big thing that he said need to be fixed in college football. Now, this past year, I know Mike Gundy hasn't been the biggest fan of NIL, but it's really taken off for Oklahoma State. This Pokes with a Purpose program has been great for making sure that the players that are on campus are staying on campus. The whole offensive line's back. Ollie Gordon's back. Like, that is stuff that is massive when you start talking about a running back and a unit up front that helped win him the Dope Walker Award. So that's there. Now, for Oklahoma – they haven't had that issue, you know, I mean, at least from what we can tell, I don't know what the Caden Green situation was behind closed doors. I don't know if Missouri said something to somebody, 
But that's one that kind of stands out because that was a total shocker. Caden Green comes in as an offensive lineman, as a freshman, and starts. Was great the last half of the season, which would have been huge for Oklahoma making a transition to the SEC. Now it's, you know, how does Oklahoma respond and find some of these other guys in the portal? So, you know, the NIL aspect of it hasn't been a problem for Oklahoma from what I understand, and I hear it's on the up and up for Oklahoma State. All right. Very interesting. Dylan Buckingham is joining us here on the show. It's always great to have him on talking OU, talking Oklahoma State, talking Big 12, KFOR sports anchor in Oklahoma City, and also uh, midday host on the franchise down there in OKC. So when you look at Alan Bowman, I mean, is this a guy that Mike Gundy thinks can win him a Big 12 title? And is it just no questions about it? Alan Bowman's back. He's the quarterback. And we're going to run this thing back next year with Ollie Gordon in the backfield and Alan Bowman under center. That should be. That should yeah. be the case. <laughs> you know, it's pretty funny. We went through three weeks last year in the non-conference slate where you're watching Garrett Rangel, you're watching Gunnar Gundy, and you're watching Alan Bowman. And when I'm watching all this stuff take place, I'm like, okay, I get it. Like, you've got a guy that has been around in Alan Bowman who has a ton of experience, which Mike Gundy puts a ton of stock in. Um, but also you have a youngster in Garrett Rangel who they really like. And then, of course, Gunnar Gundy, who is a coach's son, who is, from what I hear, a complete film junkie, just is all in on film all the time, like just cannot stop watching film. But it's weird when I watch these three quarterbacks play through the non-conference slate, because if there was like an episode of Survivor and I had those three quarterbacks there, Alan Bowman would have been the first one I voted off. Like, it's the craziest thing because he did not play that well. I mean, he had this weird kind of rapport with the receivers. He kind of put the ball in some bad spots where Deshaun Stribling gets hurt on a play where he has to go high. That was, you know, out of his reach, but tried to make it in his reach and gets, you know, popped back. And before you know it, you're seeing receivers get blasted on a couple of plays here and there. And it's like the offense seemed to flow under Gunder and under Garrett Rangel. But for whatever reason, Bowman got the nod against Iowa state and they never looked back. And they of course lose that Iowa state game, but then they start reeling off these, crazy amount of wins and find ways to beat teams like Oklahoma. And, you know, the thing about him that he's really tried to rein in this past year was, was taking care of the football. Alan Bowman is not afraid to roll out of the pocket and throw it away. Now, don't get me wrong. You're going to see a couple throws here and there where he will make some head scratching plays, but he gives Oklahoma state the best chance. And that's what Mike Gundy believed whenever he made the decision and he proved to be right. It just took him a little while to get there. And if Oklahoma state fans want to hold him accountable for not making that decision sooner, Sure, go for it. Yeah. But he said through fall camp, all three guys played about the same and the offense went about the same. So he had a really difficult time choosing him. So, yeah, it's, it's been an interesting dynamic, especially when you start looking back. They haven't been afraid to play two quarterbacks, J.W. Walsh, Clint Shelf. Yeah. Uh, they take Alex Cade over Brandon Whedon for a little stretch there. And, of course, Brandon Whedon comes in and starts destroying souls. So it's been an interesting dynamic with how Mike Gunny's chosen his quarterbacks unless he just has an incumbent guy like a Mason Rudolph who's like, okay, that's our guy. We got to use him. Yeah, that's very true. All right. Now, um, when you look at the Big 12 next year, I mean, it's going to be as wide open as it could be with Oklahoma State, Kansas, Kansas State, West Virginia, I mean, Utah, Arizona in the mix. Uh, What are you looking forward to? You're going to be covering now the Big 12 and the SEC. What are you looking forward to most about this league next season? Seeing who steps up. I mean, that's just that's it. I don't know. It's going to be so wild. Like on paper, Oklahoma State should have an incredibly great opportunity to go out there and win this conference, especially with all the guys they have coming back. Like Leon Johnson, the third, who was a D three transfer receiver played sparingly last few weeks, but turned out to be a great player for us. They had hoped to redshirt him to have him all of next season. 
But because of the injuries they had in the receiving core with Talon Shetron, Dizon Stribling, they had to play him. And so this guy got like five or six games and and really flashed during that stretch. So now he's going to try and go pro, and we'll see what happens there. But I'm digressing. All that to say, um, Oklahoma State, with who they bring back and return, Colin Oliver, Kendall Daniels on defense, um, they've got Colin Clay back. They've got a guy named Justin Kirkland who will plug up the holes up front. They have basically all of their starting units back. And that is a giant thing, especially when you start talking about Mike Gundy and what he does. He loves experience. Smarts are a huge thing with his players. And if they know what to expect from his guys, if they know what to expect from that coaching staff, then they'll be just fine. They'll be right up there. I mean, I've seen some people have Oklahoma State finish high as four next year. And I'm talking about in college football, not just in the Big 12. Now, with that being said, Kansas brings back Jalen Daniels. You have Avery Johnson at Kansas State and Chris Kleiman. Like those two just seem deadly together long term. Arizona just beat Oklahoma in the Alamo Bowl with all of their guys. And they had one guy opt out. So I really have a hard time thinking Arizona won't factor in in this conversation as well. And then I think the wild card is Colorado, too, because you have to talk about Deion Sanders and what is he going to do to bring in enough guys to really make that thing take the next step. I know he started hot last year, but it just never really materialized. We'll see if he can get it going in year number two there. So I'm, I'm kind of curious to see how this all plays out. And that's the thing. What am I looking forward to? The parody. A lot like Big 12 yeah. basketball. I don't know what to expect. Yeah, very well said. Uh, Dylan Buckingham is here on the show. All right. Uh, I want to touch on some hoops here uh, to put a bow in the conversation. Um, Mike Boynton. I mean, gosh, it seems like everyone loves him in Stillwater. I, I've covered him, met him. Just a great guy. But he's in year seven. It doesn't look like it's getting better. Is Mike Boynton on a hot seat? Is he in danger of a hot seat? Or is he going to get by for another season on, on goodwill? I don't know. <laughs> I hate to say it that way, but he's definitely got a seat that has a heater on. How's that? I can yeah, say that. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. That's kind of what's going on with him right now. But his buyout's about $8 million. He has wow. this year and next year on his contract. And you're exactly right. You're watching the exact same thing take place that you saw um, year three to now. We could rehash a conversation. I know I've been on the show with you numerous times. Uh, you could probably recycle an answer that I had three years ago on your show about where Oklahoma State basketball is at and use it this week because yeah. they go through lulls offensively. They have issues hitting free throws. They have no real consistency or offensive identity. Now, I will say this year, he has one of the best shot creators he's had in a few years in Javon Small. But he also has a very young team, and he's recruited extremely well. But it's the same thing Travis Ford did. Travis Ford, ex extremely great recruiter, but just couldn't win at Oklahoma State. Has gone on to do really good things in St. Louis, but for whatever reason, it just hasn't materialized for Mike, Mike Boynton at OSU. And he is one of the best people, one of the best coaches that I cover, hands down. But he's got to figure out a way to start getting some wins and start making some noise in the conference because while he was – steadfast in support for Oklahoma state and what happened during the NCAA investigation that does buy him some time because he is still dealing with the effects of scholarship bans. I think that's through this year. And then once this is this year's done, he gets his scholarships back and stuff like that. So there is a, a push there to like keep him around, but they're seeing the same stuff. The three minute droughts of scoring, the inability to get a rebound. You go back to the Baylor game, the turnovers at extremely inopportune times they're so close, but they have just not been able to get over the hump. So yeah. I would say this. If it gets bad this year, maybe look out. But I, I know Oklahoma State would love to keep him around. And then OU. I mean, um, you know, they get to the top 10. 
Goodwin uh, over the weekend, Iowa State, lose at TCU on Wednesday night. They got KU this weekend. Uh, Porter Moser seems to be having this thing in the right direction. McCollum's doing a great job in the backcourt. Uh, what is the ceiling for OU? Oh, man. They're so much more athletic than they've ever been under Porter Moser. And, and credit to him for re- recognizing that and going out there and getting a guy like a JV on McCollum, a uh, Rivaldo Soares, Latre Dardhard. Um, those guys have really been dynamic. John Hughley as well. He and Sam Godwin have been a great one-two punch. The ceiling for this team, they kept answering the call just about every time. You know, and I'm still, I still feel like we're writing the story of what Oklahoma is because they didn't really have a true road test except for North Carolina. They didn't shoot the ball very well, and they turned the ball over a lot and had, I think, six assists in that game. Like, that's that's not a recipe for winning. So they go on the road to TCU last night. They get beat, and it looks like Oklahoma just kind of has their, their wheels spinning while they're on the road or in road environments. And so, you know, this is not going to be an easy thing for them to go to Kansas, especially after Kansas coming off of a, an upset loss to UCF on the road. So for OU, they haven't won there in the fog in 31 years. I don't know if it starts on Saturday or changes on Saturday, but I think the ultimate goal for this team going into the year was make the NCAA tournament. And, and don't yeah. be one of those bubble teams where you're sitting there sweating, you know, freaking out on Selection Sunday. It's, it was make it handedly. And they, they think 19, 20, or 21 wins will do it. And you start off with a great win against Iowa State. They're off to an incredible start this year. You know, they don't need somebody to go out and score 25 points a night. They just need a few guys to hit double digits. And if they do that, they put themselves in great positions to win. They've been a really, really good defensive team. They talk about DCO, defense creating offense. and They've been very, very good at doing that this year. So I think with the way that the goalposts have kind of moved with them this year, I would say that they're a definite potential for a second weekend team in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I would say so as well. Well, uh, great work with uh, Dylan Buckingham. He's doing outstanding work in Oklahoma City for KFOR and then on the radio with the franchise. And uh, we appreciate you being here, Dylan. Thanks so much for the time, my man. Pete, thanks for having me as always. I appreciate you. You bet. All right. If you're on YouTube, subscribe. Radio Affiliates, we always uh, love you guys across the Midwest and on the podcast. Subscribe as well and check us out and find out more at heartlandcollegesports.com.